You are listening live to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon as we reach the back half of the month of November. Can't believe it. Thanksgiving, a week and a half away. Christmas, New Year's, all coming up before you know it. Here's what's coming up over the course of the next hour, though. We've got NFL action to break down. We had a groundbreaking injury in the college football scene this weekend. Colin Kaepernick had his NFL workout on Saturday in the Atlanta area. Plus, we'll play over-under to end the day, as we always do during the fall on Mondays. But let's start with the NFL. Let's break down action from yesterday, because there was a lot of it. Unfortunately, not much in the game we were all expecting the action to come from with Baltimore taking down Houston 41 to 7 it was hyped up to be this rematch Jackson against Watson well only Lamar Jackson was balling out who else had Deshaun Watson starting for them in fantasy yesterday I had Kyler Murray on my bench but how could I have known how could any of us known Lamar Jackson 17 to 24 222 yards pass for four touchdowns he was not picked how about the Gus bus Gus Edwards carried the ball eight times for 112 yards and scored once Watson was 18 to 29 for 169 yards didn't throw a touchdown and he was picked once it was a tough day for Houston overall as Baltimore comes away with a decisive victory the Falcons winners of two in a row as they take down the Panthers 29 to three young Hoku who they just signed a couple of weeks ago to replace Matt Bryant, outscored the Panthers by himself. Matt Ryan, pretty good on the day, 21-31, 311 yards, 1 TD. He was not intercepted. On the receiving end, it was Calvin Ridley who led the way for Atlanta yesterday. Eight catches, 143 yards, and 1 TD. Carolina on the other side, yeah, count them officially as a team who is going to be looking for a quarterback in the upcoming draft. Cam Newton is not the answer going forward for the Panthers, but it no longer is Kyle Allen either. 31 of 50 for 325 yards, didn't throw a touchdown. He was intercepted four times. Christian McCaffrey, 14 carries for 70 yards. Receiving the ball, he had 11 catches for 121 yards. He was a highlight for the Panther offense yesterday. The Cowboys play about as poorly as you can and still come out with a win. 35-27, they get the win over the Jeff Driscoll-led Lions. I tell you what, though, as poorly as the Cowboys played yesterday, Dak Prescott can't be included in that mix. 29 of 46, 444 yards, three touchdowns, and he was not picked. What if I told you the Cowboys had two receivers go over the century mark yesterday, and neither was Amari Cooper? Michael Gallup, 148 yards, Randall Cobb, 115, and a touchdown. On the other side, Jeff Driscoll, 15 to 26, 209 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Bo Scarborough, 14 touches for 55 yards. Remember him? He was a guy that you're making all those memes about like five years ago. Big running back from Alabama. Yeah, they've had plenty of those through the years. However, the Lions do fall yesterday to Dallas despite being within one score late in the game. Lions just need to shut down Stafford. I know they want him back. It's going to be about a six-week injury. Stafford's optimistic he could play before then. Just rest him. Just let Stafford heal. Moving on to the AFC South, Indianapolis breaks open a game in the second half. They spoil Nick Foles' return 33-13. The Colts take down the Jags. Jacoby Brissett, 15 for 24, 148 yards, one passing TD, one rushing TD. did throw one interception. Marlon Mack, 14 carries for 109 yards and one rushing TD. However, he left the game in the third quarter due to a hand injury looking serious, potentially 
could be season-ending. Jonathan Williams, the other back that got going for Indy yesterday, 13 touches for 116 yards. They did the load of the work for the Indy offense. Nick Foles in his return to the field for the first time since week one, 33 of 47 for 296 yards, passed for two touchdowns, and he was intercepted once. DJ Chark, eight catches for 104 yards and caught two TDs. Elsewhere, Buffalo with a big win over Miami, 37-20. Josh Allen looked pretty darn good yesterday, 21-33, 256 yards, three touchdowns, was not picked. Favorite target yesterday? Jonathan Brown, nine catches for 137 yards and two TDs. Good thing I was going up against him in fantasy, and the guy was playing decided to start a guy named John Brown. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 32 of 46 for 323 yards, no TDs and no picks. Devontae Parker was the hot hand in the receiving core for Miami yesterday. Seven catches for 135 yards. Continuing on, the Vikings come back to beat Denver 27-23. They hold on late after overcoming a 20-point halftime deficit. In the last five years, teams had been 0-99 when trailing by 20 at halftime, 20 or more. The Vikings became the first team in the last 100 tries to win after trailing by at least 20 points at halftime. Kirk Cousins, he looked pretty good yesterday. 29-35, 319 yards, three touchdowns, and was not picked. Stephon Diggs, the hot hand in the receiving core, five catches, 121 yards, and one touchdown. Brandon Allen, meanwhile, 17-39 through the year, 240 yards and a touchdown. Corbin Sutton with five catches, 113 yards, actually had a 38-yard pass completion in the first half. They highlighted Denver offensively. The Saints winners over the Buccaneers yesterday. Yesterday, 34 to 17. Drew Brees, 28 to 35, 228 yards, three touchdowns, and was not picked. Alvin Kamara, 13 carries for 75 yards. Latavius Murray, 10 carries for 27 yards. Michael Thomas did his thing, 114 yards and a touchdown on eight catches yesterday. Jameis Winston, meanwhile, 30 of 51 through the year, 313 yards. He threw for two TDs, but he was picked off four times. This is not a recipe for success for Tampa Bay. As a team, they carry the ball eight times yesterday eight times for 36 yards meanwhile Jameis Winston looks like he's throwing a weighted football is throwing the football 51 times in a single game while you're rushing it just eight you don't want your quarterback who's thrown 18 interceptions so far this season throwing the football 51 times a game the Jets winners over Washington yesterday, 34-17. to Sam Darnold looked pretty sharp, 19-30, 293 yards, four touchdowns. He was picked once. Ryan Griffin, his tight end, was his favorite target, five catches, including one TD. He totaled 109 yards. Dwayne Haskins, well, Bill Callahan's just giving him the keys and letting him go. 19-35, 214 yards, two touchdowns, and he was picked once. Adrian Peterson led the way on the ground with nine carries for 25 yards. Yeah, that's leading the way. That is how bad this Redskins offense is. Just not much going for them yesterday. The 49ers rally late, and they take down the Cardinals 36-26. A 19-point fourth quarter keeps San Fran atop their division standings. Jimmy Garoppolo threw four touchdowns yesterday. was picked twice, 34-45 through the year for 424 yards. Debo Samuel with eight catches for 134 yards to lead the San Fran receiving core. Elsewhere, Kyler Murray, pretty good. Good thing I left him on my bench in fantasy yesterday. 24-33, 150 yards, two touchdowns. He was not picked. He also ran the ball eight times for 67 yards, including one score. 
The Raiders managed to keep the Bengals winless with a 17-10 victory yesterday. Max Crosby had maybe his best game of any pass rusher in the Raiders organization in the last how many years? Five, something like that? Considering Khalil Mack was on that team within the last couple of years. Max Crosby was disruptive as ever yesterday. Derek Carr pretty good on the offensive end. 25-29, 292 yards and a touchdown was picked once. Josh Jacobs, 23 carries, 112 yards. On the receiving end of things, the hot hand was Terrell Williams, 4 catches for 82 yards. On the other side, Ryan Finley, 13-31 through the year, 115 yards, no TDs. He was intercepted once. Joe Mixon, 15 carries for 86 yards. He did score a rushing touchdown, and with that, the Bengals became the last team to score a rushing touchdown in the NFL this season. Mixon ran it in from three yards out late in the first quarter, and now all 32 teams have at least one rushing touchdown this season. Stat of the day for you. The Patriots winners over the Eagles 17-10. The Eagles were doing exactly what they needed to in the first half, dominating time of possession. But the second half, the Patriots figured out their best offense wasn't necessarily getting it in Tom Brady's hands. It was getting it in Julian Edelman's hands. Edelman, the former collegiate quarterback at Kent State, threw what proved to be the game-winning touchdown to Philip Dorsett. A 15-yard strike in New England would not trail after that. Brady himself, 26-47, 216 yards, no TDs and no interceptions for the day. On the other side, Carson Wentz, 20-40, 214 yards and one touchdown. Zach Ertz, his leading receiver, 94 receiving yards on nine catches. And then Sunday night football last night, the Rams take down the Bears 17-7. If you're a Rams fan, you got to be encouraged with what you saw out of Todd Gurley. Looked pretty good again last night with 25 carries for 97 yards and one TD. Malcolm Brown, five carries, 15 yards. He had the other rushing touchdown. Jared Goff, 11 for 18 through the year, 173 yards, no touchdowns. He was picked once, but that's still a recipe for success, and it's one that the Bears were not following yesterday because they insist on letting Mitch Trubisky throw more than 40 times a game. Trubisky 24-43 through the year, 190 yards, one touchdown, one interception. David Montgomery 14 carries for 31 yards. That's more carries than I thought he had. They didn't give him the ball nearly enough. Anytime Trubisky is throwing above even 30 passes a game, it's not a recipe for success for the Chicago Bears. That's a look at the NFL results from yesterday. We close out the week tonight with a battle in Mexico City. Monday night football as the Chiefs get set to take on the Chargers. Let's update our pick'em standings with everything that went on this weekend. My lead has been cut to one game. I'm at 35-19. and 19. This week I picked Pittsburgh, which was incorrect on Thursday night football. Jacksonville, also incorrect. And then I correctly picked the Patriots and the Rams. So now if the Chiefs win, I'll go above 500 for the week. So I'm 35 and 19. Ryan Stieg one game back at 34 and 20. Jake Duran is 33 and 21. Michael Hoefling 31 and 23. And Tyree Smith is 30 and 24. We all have Kansas City tonight except John Michael Hoefling. He's the only one that says the Chargers are going to win what's technically a home game for them, even though it's in Mexico City. Let's take our first time out when we come back. Colin Kaepernick had his NFL workout this weekend in the Atlanta area. What do we take away from that? I'll tell you next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along. We're going to get to Colin Kaepernick and his NFL workout here in a moment. But first, some 
devastating news from the college football landscape this weekend. Alabama quarterback Tua Tingavailoa, he's been struggling with injuries throughout the year. He went down this weekend against Mississippi State. He's done for the year. He had surgery, a successful surgery this morning in Houston, but his season and very likely his collegiate career are both over. He had what's officially being diagnosed as a dislocated hip, very similar to what happened with both Bo Jackson and former Alabama Crimson Tide standout C.J. Mosley. Now, Stefania Bell, who's our injury expert here at ESPN, was on this morning with Golick and Wingo talking about possible outcomes and what this means for Tua's career going forward, what it means for his future in football. And before I play that audio for you, I don't believe Tua Tungavailoa is ever going to play another snap at the University of Alabama or anywhere at the college level. Why would he? At this point, even if Tua recovers as well as can be hoped for after this surgery, he won't be throwing in a shirt and shorts at the Combine. There's going to be no pre-draft workouts for him, but there's going to be plenty of tape on him. However, that's before he suffers an injury similar to what C.J. Mosley and Bo Jackson went through. Now, we know what happened with Bo Jackson. He suffered this injury. It ended his career. C.J. Mosley had it a couple of years ago. Much more recently, it should be noted, than Bo Jackson. And now he's playing at an all-pro level. should be noted, he just got paid big time to come play for the New York Jets. So again, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a clue what all this means or what to expect from Tua going forward. Thankfully, that's where people like Stefania Bell come in. He had a posterior hip dislocation and a posterior wall fracture. So just to orient you, if you think about the hip joint, it's a ball and socket joint. So the head of the thigh bone, the femur, has a ball at the top of it. And that goes in the socket, which is kind of a saucer-shaped thing. But it's a good tight fit, which is why we don't hear about dislocations happening that often. When there's a high energy impact, which this was, um, think of the force it would take in a motor vehicle accident, for example, and it puts just the right directional force on that hip, it can go out the back and on the way it hits that rim of the socket. And in this case, there was a fracture of the bone. So we do know that Tua underwent successful surgery this morning in Houston. Stefania went a little deeper and she talked about what exactly doctors are concerned with when you have this type of injury. Now obviously there's concern anytime you have a major injury like that, but what exactly is it that could be career-ending or what was career-ending in this sense for Bo Jackson? The key thing is the blood supply to the hip. There is a condition that can result from dislocating the hip if the blood vessels are damaged. And that is what people think of when they think of the Bo Jackson injury because he had a dislocated hip with blood vessel damage and that prevented him from really being able to be the athlete he was before. But the key to uh, minimizing that damage to the artery is reducing the dislocation as quickly as possible. And in Tua's case, his hip was reduced immediately at the stadium. So what does this mean for Tua Tengavailoa's future as a football player? He's done as far as being a college athlete. He is going to end his career statistically as arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the Alabama football program. And you think about how storied that program has been through the years. Not just the Nick Saban era, but the Bear Bryant era. There have been some darn good quarterbacks that have come through Alabama over the last few years. 
So Tua is going to look to the NFL. He's going to cut his losses. He's not going to get drafted as high as he once thought. He's not going to get as big of a contract as he once thought. They've got plenty of tape on him. And if he rehabs well, recovers well, then teams will still take a chance on him. Then it's going to be up to him. He'll get to relish the opportunity to prove that he's deserving of a bigger contract, make it big in the NFL. I've made it no secret that Tua Tungavailoa scares me before this weekend. Tua Tungavailoa, I thought, was a hit-or-miss type of guy. He was high-risk, high-reward, because he was having problems staying healthy before this weekend, and he's a left-handed quarterback that, for whatever reason, they just don't translate well to the NFL. Think if he goes to a team like the Dolphins. The Dolphins were kind of the team that started the tank for Tua movement. Think if he goes there. Is that a great situation for a young quarterback trying to stay healthy? Trying to do what hasn't been done by many people, which is be a successful left-handed NFL quarterback? For whatever reason, lefties just don't translate to the NFL well. And you think putting him in Miami with that current Dolphins team is going to be the best thing for his career? Right now we're seeing what's happening with Dwayne Haskins, a guy who looked like he had all the talent in the world coming out of college. Maybe he still does. And he gets put in a bad organization where right now he's just being thrown to the wolves. Kyler Murray with Arizona, he's putting up pretty good numbers. But he said he's frustrated after his team just lost their fourth straight game. He's used to winning. He comes from Oklahoma. He's used to being part of a winning team. It may not be his fault that his team's on a four-game losing streak, but it's frustrating to him nonetheless. Are those really the best positions for young, aspiring quarterbacks in the NFL? Especially one, in Tua's case, where history has proven that the odds are against you, being left-handed and injury-prone. That's what worries me about Tua Tungavailoa going forward. I wish him all the best. I've said prayers for Tua and his family. I hope things work out for him. But if I'm an NFL GM, I'm not going after Tua. Unless I can get him as kind of a steal in the draft, I'm still wary about going after Tua in this draft. That being said, I wish all the best for him. I hope things pan out for him going forward because he's dealt with a lot and he's not even 23 years old. Let's get to Colin Kaepernick and what happened this weekend. On Saturday, the former NFL quarterback had his private workout in the Atlanta area. It didn't go down as was scheduled. Originally, as many as 25 of the 32 NFL teams were planning on sending a representative to the Falcons practice facility where the NFL had scheduled the workout to take place. Kaepernick decided to back out because the NFL would not allow him to bring an independent film crew. The NFL said that we are going to get our own tape with our own film crew. You're not going to bring anybody outside of the organization in to film it independently. Kaepernick decided that he was going to leave the NFL's workout, go to an Atlanta high school, and do a private workout there on his terms with his own independent film crew. Eight teams decided to go with Kaepernick and send representatives there. The Kansas City Chiefs, the New York Jets, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Tennessee Titans, the Buffalo Bills, the San Francisco 49ers, his old team, the Detroit Lions, and the Washington Redskins. So how did it go on Saturday? Are scouts impressed? Do they think he still has it? I've got in front of me, which I'm about to read to you, quotes from scouts who were there on Saturday. Quote, 
There were 60 scripted throws, no runs, no agility work. He was in good shape, as we thought he'd be. Arm strength was definitely still there, and he had some real zip on the ball, but he had some accuracy issues on his deep throws. Good enough to be in a roster, likely backup level. He was in good shape, and he has a fastball. The velocity was really good. Accuracy and touch were inconsistent. On deep balls, he was ordinary. He can still run well. Essentially average overall. Good velocity, accuracy, and touch were average. Good showing. Thought he looked like he did when he was last on the field. Let's think about that last part for a second. There's a lot to dive into there, but let's think about that last sentence. Thought he looked like he did when he was last on the field. The last image that we have of Colin Kaepernick taking snaps in the NFL was week 17 of 2016, almost three calendar years ago. When he was with San Francisco back then, he was a backup for most of the season to Blaine Gabbert. Now I want you to do something with me. I want us to have a conversation about football and only football. I don't want to talk about politics or policy, nothing like that. Because that's not my job. I'm not here to be an activist radio talk show host. I'm not here to be a political talk show host. That's not my job. That's not what I'm getting paid to do. I'm here to talk about football. So that's what we're going to do. Regardless of what you believe about Colin Kaepernick, because I know how polarizing of a figure he is, and I know that you do too, regardless of that, let's put all of it aside, and let's talk about Colin Kaepernick as a football player, not as an activist. The most recent film that we have on Kaepernick is during a season in which he lost his starting job to Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert, who's currently a backup quarterback. Now, if Colin Kaepernick does still look the same as when he was last on the field in 2016, according to one NFL scout, that's what he believes. Kaepernick still looks the same as he did in 2016. That would mean Kaepernick is a backup quarterback. Good enough to be on a roster. 53-man roster as a backup quarterback, likely at best. I'd probably agree with that. I'd probably agree with that. Kaepernick is probably a backup quarterback somewhere in the NFL. Here's the thing. I have long held the belief that no matter what your past is, you will always get a chance in the National Football League as long as you can help a team win. When Kareem Hunt was cut by the Chiefs last year, the Browns picked him up and they took heat for it. They became a pariah. People said, look what you're doing from a morality standpoint. Bringing in this guy who abuses his girlfriend, who abuses women. But the Browns knew that Kareem Hunt would help their team. So they were willing to become a pariah for that to happen because they knew Kareem Hunt would still help them win football games. When the Kansas City Chiefs did not cut Tariq Hill... After the investigation into his son and girlfriend being beaten, they were a pariah. But they made that move because they knew Tariq Hill would still help them win football games. They were willing to take a PR hit because they knew that Tariq Hill would help their team. Even Eric Reed, the safety, who was one of the first people to kneel by Kaepernick's side back in 2016, even when the Panthers signed him, they were willing to take a publicity hit for it. They were willing to take the bad PR and become a pariah because they know Eric Reed is still a good football player and he can still help their team win. Any team who signs Colin Kaepernick, right or wrong, 
will become a pariah. And let's face it, Colin Kaepernick is not going to help a team win football games. Not in 2019. He wasn't doing that in 2016. Yeah, he's been to the Super Bowl before, the same year as Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's not exactly a hot commodity right now. Joe Flacco wasn't helping Denver win football games. He was 2-6 and six as a starter with the Broncos this year. He went to the Super Bowl one year after Eli Manning. Eli's a backup right now. A probable future Hall of Famer, and he's a backup to a 22-year-old. No one's clamoring for Eli to get a shot somewhere else in the league. I truly believe if Colin Kaepernick played at the level he did in 2013 when he took his team to the Super Bowl, if he was still like that in 2014, 15, and 16, his last three years in the NFL, that he would have had a job by now. Some team, no matter what he did, would have taken a chance on him because he would help a team win. No one's going to take that PR hit and become a pariah for a backup quarterback. And that's why I believe Kaepernick is. I don't believe he could go into the league and start and be successful right now. That's not reflective of what he's done or the protest or the social issues that he's brought up. I just don't see anything that tells me he would be a successful starting quarterback. I don't see anything that tells me he would be better than a backup quarterback in the NFL because the last time he was in the league, he was Blaine Gabbert's backup, and he's been out of the league for three years. How about Le'Veon Bell? When he stepped away from the Pittsburgh Steelers to get out of his contract, he was at the height of his career, arguably the best running back in football. He took that one year off, now he's with the New York Jets, and he looks like a shell of himself. He's not anywhere close to what he was just a year ago, one year removed from football. Kaepernick was not nearly at the same height as Le'Veon Bell, talent-wise, and he's been out of the league three years. You have an all-pro running back who took one year off and doesn't look the same. You have a backup quarterback who's been out of the league three years, and you think he's going to be the same? And people will say, yeah, but he's kept himself in shape. He's been throwing. What do you think Le'Veon Bell did during this past year? Because I guarantee it wasn't sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. He kept himself in great shape. He was always game ready because he knew he was going to be back in the league next year. I get Kaepernick's been throwing, doing workouts, keeping himself in football shape. But three years without live action, live game reps? I don't know any quarterback even the most talented guy on the planet who could go three years without seeing live action and still be as good as he was when he was last in the league. And Kaepernick was a backup when he was last in the league. From a football standpoint, I don't see anything that makes me really want to sign him other than have a little depth at my quarterback position as a backup quarterback. And no team, that's just the reality of it, no team will take the PR hit for a backup quarterback. If Kaepernick had the ability of Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, somebody would have done it by now. Because if he can help a team win, they're willing to overlook whatever may be in his past. Again, I'm not getting into the social issues, the protest, all that aside. I'm not paid to talk about that. I'm paid to talk about football. And I'm talking about Colin Kaepernick as a football player. And since 2013, 14, something like that, there's not a lot there that says this guy would help my football team. Can he be a backup quarterback talent-wise? I think he could be good enough to be on an NFL roster right now. 
in a backup role. Do I believe that's going to happen? I don't know. I really don't know. Because I don't think this workout was scheduled as a publicity stunt by the NFL. Kaepernick's a household name, yeah, but he's not something that's being brought up every week. Why would the NFL open that wound again and bring it up for the public? It's an unpopular topic for the NFL, one that makes the NFL executives uncomfortable. Why would they do anything to bring attention to it? The only reason I can think of as far as why this workout was scheduled is because there was genuinely some team that's interested in him, team or teams. Did he impress enough at the workout on Saturday that somebody might sign him? I don't know. I don't know. Again, no matter what your feelings are toward Kaepernick or what he's done, as a football player, he's just not somebody who's going to come back from three years out of the league and help your team win. If you want him as a backup, provide a little depth, fine. But you know that you got to get your PR team ready to do a little overtime work. That's the reality. Let's take our next time out. When we come back, let's talk about college football. What are the new rankings going to look like after this weekend's results? That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon. Here's your Sports Center update. Kyle Busch took first place at Homestead yesterday, clinching the 2019 Cup Series championship, the second of his career. The only other active driver with multiple Cup Series titles, Jimmy Johnson. The New Jersey Devils are demoting veteran goaltender Corey Schneider. Schneider, who played for the U.S. national team as recently as this May, has failed to record a victory in six appearances with New Jersey this year and owns a save percentage of 852. In a corresponding move, the Devils are recalling Louis Domingue from AHL Binghamton to back up Mackenzie Blackwood. And finally, it is illegal to own just one guinea pig in Switzerland. The Swiss government classifies denying a guinea pig the ability to bond with members of its own species as an act of animal cruelty. It's a real law. You can look it up. You either have to have no guinea pigs or you got to have multiple guinea pigs. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along once again. What happened this weekend in college football? How is that going to affect the new rankings that come out tomorrow night? Well, let's peer into the future a little bit. I'm going to tell you where I believe the top 10 teams should be ranked. Let's jump right into it. Let's get it started. Number one. For once in the sports pen, we're not going to count down. We're going to count up because it's more dramatic in this sense. At the number one spot will be LSU. They've done nothing this weekend to say that they shouldn't be the top-ranked team in the country. They go on the road to Oxford, Mississippi, and they hang 58 on a stingy Rebels team, winning 58-37. to They have the best resume of anybody. They have the best win in college football this year. LSU is no doubt going to be the number one team when the new rankings come out tomorrow night. Number two. The second-ranked team in the country will be the Ohio State Buckeyes. Based on the eye test, you can easily make the argument that they are the best team in the country, that they should be number one based on the eye test. But you know me by now, I am a hater of the eye test. I like resumes. I think the body of work has to mean something. That being said, Ohio State beats teams the way that you're supposed to beat them. Maybe they don't play that great of a schedule. You know, they do play in the Big Ten, but they've played Maryland, Rutgers, Nebraska, 
but they destroy those teams. You're supposed to hang 73 points on Maryland. You got a guy like Chase Young? Absolutely, you should be blowing these teams out of the water. Nebraska was ranked when Ohio State went to Lincoln and dominated them. They have a good win over Wisconsin. This weekend, they beat Rutgers 56-21 to without Chase Young. Ohio State, based on the eye test, has been the most dominant team in college football this year. But I like LSU's resume better, and that's why Ohio State is going to hold it number two. Number three. The third-ranked team in the country will be the only other unbeaten in Division I football, the Clemson Tigers. The defending national champions, their strength of schedule is the weakest among the three unbeatens, and they haven't won convincingly like the other unbeatens have. Clemson plays in the ACC. You're not going to get a great strength of schedule there, although they did what they needed to this weekend. They thumped a Wake Forest team that surprised a lot of people, 52-3. to Clemson, as long as they take care of business, no matter how weak their schedule is, they are in as long as they went out. But one loss probably is enough to keep the Tigers out of it. Number four. Holding at number four in this week's rankings will be the Georgia Bulldogs. When you look at their resume, they might have the best body of wins of anybody in the country this year. They have two top ten wins over Notre Dame and Florida. Both were in the top ten when Georgia beat them. And this weekend, they picked up a top 12 win when they took down Auburn 21-14. to That being said, the glaring black eye on their resume is that loss to South Carolina. Two and three South Carolina team at Georgia that should count for one and a half losses. In my book, that's 1.5 losses. The dogs are 8 and 1.5 this season. That being said, they have too many good wins, and they've proven that they're too good of a team that there's really nobody else that you can put in the top four above them. I say Georgia holds at number four in the rankings when they come out tomorrow night. Number five. There should be no change in the top five when the new rankings come out tomorrow night. The Alabama Crimson Tide will hold at the fifth spot. A convincing win for them this weekend at Mississippi State, 38-7. to But at what cost does they lose star quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, a Heisman candidate? We know that his season is over. Maybe his collegiate career is as well. He underwent surgery this morning in Houston. When that's brought up to the committee at the end of the year, and they're determining who are the four best of the four most deserving that is going to factor into their decision whether that's right or not. That's where they'll look at the resume and they'll subtract from it because they want to get in the four best of the most four deserving. And without Tua, there's a strong case that Alabama doesn't fit into the top four. How do you put them in over a Clemson, a Georgia? That's going to be the argument, and that's why very likely Alabama could miss the college football playoff for the first time in its existence. Number six. The sixth spot goes to the Oregon Ducks. They're coming off a 34-6 win over Arizona this weekend. They've just got a little bit better resume than the Pac-12 team that's chasing them, especially when you take into account the fact that their loss came back in week one to Auburn at the last second. This Ducks team could very easily be undefeated right now, but let's be honest, do any of us think that Oregon's still going to be there at the end of the year? They might be as far as the Pac-12 goes, but getting into the top four... I don't know if that happens. It could. It very well could. And I kind of hope that they run the table. And if they don't get in, just cause chaos. Because chaos will force the committee to expand. And I always cheer for chaos. Number seven. This is why we didn't count down. This is why we're counting up this week because it's more dramatic. The top seven do not change. I don't believe there will be a change in the top seven in the college football playoff rankings that come out tomorrow night. The Utah Utes are going to hold Saturday night a 49-3 to win over UCLA. They start slow. They finish red hot. 
and they have done nothing to say that they shouldn't be on paper one of the top seven teams in the country. I don't necessarily believe that they are that good, but again, the resume doesn't lie. Resume always beats the eye test, or it always should. It doesn't always, but it should. Utah will hold as the seventh ranked team in the country. Number eight. Here's where it starts to get fun because number eight in the rankings this week went down. The Gophers went to Iowa City and they fall 23 to 19. So the Gophers are dropping from the top 10 as well as the ranks of the unbeaten. Who is going to take over that eight spot? I think there are two teams, maybe even three, you can make a really strong case for. But I'm going to go with Penn State for the fact being that the team that I think has the best case against them, Minnesota is not as bad as losing to the team that they did, which I'm going to reveal here in a moment. And while Penn State may not have as good of a win as the team that I'm putting just behind them, again, to be revealed here in due time, I do believe the committee values bad losses more than good wins, or they have in years past. This year, they're starting to give a little more credit to good wins. New committee. But I'm going to put Penn State in at the number eight spot in this week's rankings. Number nine. Coming in at number nine, I'm going with the Oklahoma Sooners. I think you can very easily make the case that they could be number eight this week. The Sooners have a better win than Penn State does. The Sooners rallied from 28-3 down, and they beat Baylor this weekend. Baylor was previously undefeated. That's better than anyone that Penn State has beaten this year. Penn State's best win, I would say, is Michigan. They did beat Iowa as well, so a couple of good wins on their resume. Oklahoma has beaten Texas, and now Baylor. I think those wins are better than Penn State's, but the two teams that each lost to glare out at me. Penn State lost on the road to Minnesota, a team that is still going to be in the top probably 15. Oklahoma lost to Kansas State, a team that was in the rankings this week, but they just took their fourth loss. They fell to West Virginia this weekend. K-State is going to drop out of the top 25. To me, that loss is what is going to put Penn State ahead of Oklahoma. I think the Sooners have slightly better wins on their resume than Penn State, but Penn State has a better loss. And regardless, Penn State will have a chance to solidify their spot ahead of Oklahoma this weekend if they can pick up a win over number 2 Ohio State. So Penn State's going to get their chance for validation regardless. And then coming in at number 10, we're going with the Florida Gators. Florida Chomp Chomp re-enters the top 10. You look at their resume, they've got two really good losses to Georgia and LSU. And everyone says, at some point the results have to matter. Well, give me who else would be more deserving as a top 10 team than Florida based on their resume right now. They have a really good win over Auburn, and they just crushed Missouri this weekend 23-6. to The Gators, to me, have a case as far as being number 8. When you put their resume, their strength, the schedule, and their wins up against Penn State or Oklahoma, I think there is a case for the Gators to be number eight, but still, they have two losses, and I think that is what's going to put them in the 10 spot. But Kyle Trask has re-energized that offense, and he's given Florida new life. Kyle Trask taking over at the quarterback spot was maybe the best thing to happen to Dan Mullen's crew this year. So that is what I project will be the new top 10 in the college football playoff rankings when they come out tomorrow. The top 10, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Utah, Penn State, Oklahoma, and Florida. The biggest question for me, how far will Minnesota fall? I think they'll still be top 15. How far is Auburn going to fall? Yeah, none of their losses are bad, but now they've got three of them. Baylor, no one really took them seriously anyway. They were undefeated, but they were ranked 13th. Are they going to stay in the top 20? 
How far do Wisconsin, Michigan, Notre Dame move up? They all won this weekend. They were all just behind Baylor. To me, that's going to be more interesting than who's going to be in the top seven. Because I think we all know who that's going to be. Not a lot of drama there. Let's take another timeout. When we come back, let's play over-under with the top 25 lines for this weekend in college football. That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the Sports Pen podcast there. Tanner Hoops with you as we wind down this Monday afternoon. We're going to play over-under with the top 25 lines in college football for the coming weekend. But before we do so, a couple of now to bring to your attention. Earlier this afternoon, the 2020 MLB Hall of Fame ballot was released, and the ballot includes Bobby Abreu, Josh Beckett, Heath Bell, Barry Bonds, Eric Chavez, Roger Clemens, Adam Dunn, Sean Figgins, Rafael Fercal, Jason Giambi, Todd Helton, Raul Labanez, Derek Jeter, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Paul Konerko, Cliff Lee, Carlos Pena, Brad Penny, Andy Pettit, J.J. Putz, Manny Ramirez, Brian Roberts, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Alfonso Soriano, Sammy Sosa, Jose Valverde, Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, and Larry Walker. I felt nostalgic just reading that. So many names and memories that come back at you. Derek Jeter's on the Hall of Fame ballot as early as 2020. I'm here for it. Something else to bring to your attention, the NCAA hockey rankings for the new week have been released and holding at number one in the country, Minnesota State of Mankato with an 8-1-1 record. They got 36 of a possible 50 first place votes. Cornell comes in at number two, they're up a spot. Notre Dame up one spot to number three. Denver drops from second to fourth. North Dakota got a first place vote. They move from ninth to fifth. Penn State, UMass, Clarkson, Minnesota Duluth, and Harvard round out the top ten. Other WCHA schools in the rankings this week, Bowling Green comes in at number 17 and Northern Michigan 19, falling one spot from 18th after this weekend split against Alaska. By the way, Alaska receiving votes in this weekend's poll. With that, let's play over-under. Not really over-under, but I don't know. we got to think of a better name for that because we're technically not doing over-under. We're just kind of doing will this team cover or not. Maybe we should do cover or not. I don't know. I like the way that over-under sounds better. Let's get into it. We've got Oregon, 16-point favorites. They're on the road, and they take on Arizona State. I'm going with the under on this one. The Pac-12 always beats up on each other. I think Oregon wins this game, but going on the road, taking on the fight in Herms in Tempe, that could be a tough one. I think Oregon wins, but I don't think they win by 16. Another Pac-12 game, Utah, 23-point favorites on the road against Arizona. I'm going to go against my own logic from the last one and say Utah covers here. I'm going to go with the over. Even though it's on the road, Oregon just beat Arizona by 28 this weekend. I think Utah's going to beat them by a similar margin. You've got Minnesota looking to bounce back. They go on the road to take on Northwestern. The Golden Gophers favored by 11. I will go with the, uh, what do I want to go with on this? It's at Northwestern. It's always a tough place to play, but they're down, and Minnesota's hungry. I'll go with the over on it. I think the Gophers can win by more than 11 in this one. How about Oklahoma at home, 19-point favorites against TCU? That game can be heard here on ESPN-UP on Saturday, by the way. I'm going to go with the... Let's go with the under on it. I know Oklahoma's at home. TCU took Baylor to the wire. Baylor took Oklahoma to the wire. 
by that transitive property, I think is what they call it. I'm going to say that TCU makes this a closer game than 19 points, but OU still gets a win and keeps their college football playoff hopes alive. You've got Baylor at home, five-point favorites over Texas. I'm picking the upset here. I think the Longhorns go into Waco, and they take down the Baylor Bears. you got a Baylor squad that's reeling. They Let's be honest. They blew that game against Oklahoma on Saturday night. Credit Oklahoma for coming back like they did, but Baylor's up 28-3. to I know Oklahoma's a good team, but so are you. You're undefeated. You're first place in the conference. You blew that game. Texas is coming off a loss at Iowa State. They're going to be hungry. Texas, I know that their record's not great. I think they're better than what people give them credit for. I know on paper what it says, but I believe Texas can go into Waco this weekend and pull the upset. Wisconsin at home, 23-point favorites against Purdue. I'll take the under on this one. Purdue's a pesky team. I still think Wisconsin wins. They probably win by two scores. Wisconsin probably won't have much trouble I just don't know that they're going to win by 23 this weekend. They could. They might surprise me. But Purdue's just so pesky. I think they're going to be within two scores. I'd say about 16-17 is where I'd set the line for Wisconsin to win. Cincinnati, they have quietly put together a one-loss season. They are at home, 11-point favorites over Temple. Something tells me to go with the under on this one. It really does, but there's nothing that makes me think I should Go with the under on it. Cincinnati should cover and win by 11, especially at home. Yeah, I I have a feeling that I want to go with the under, but I'm not going to. I'll go with the over on this. I'll say Cincy wins by two scores, 14, something like that. Although I'm going to be mad at myself if Temple does end up making it a good game or even pulls the upset. Memphis, 16-point favorites. They go on the road to take on South Florida. I'm going to go with the over on this one. I think that line's about right. Maybe 17 is right. I almost want to take the under on it, but it is South Florida. I know they're at home, but it's South Florida. And Memphis has quietly been one of the best mid-majors this year, one of the best group of five teams. Oklahoma State, eight-point favorites. They go on the road to take on West Virginia. You know, West Virginia's coming off that big win over K-State, and they're at home. I'm going to go with the under on it. I'm not ready to say that West Virginia will upset Oklahoma State, but I don't think Oklahoma State wins by eight on the road against a West Virginia team that's starting to figure things out. Here's a toughie. You've got Ohio State at home with Penn State, Buckeyes 20-point favorites. Ohio State has just been blowing teams out this year. They very well could be the best team in the country, like I mentioned earlier. They don't have the resume, but they pass the eye test to be number one in the country. Penn State, though, they're no slouch themselves. But this game is at the horseshoe. I think I got to go with the over on it. As crazy as it is, I think I got to say Ohio State covers the 20 point spread and maybe some more. Maybe they win this game by anywhere between 21 to 24 points. It kind of surprised me. But why shouldn't I pick Ohio State to do that? Just because it's Penn State they're playing? Ohio State, as impressive as they've been this year, Why shouldn't I pick them to cover the spread against Penn State this weekend? I'm going to do it. Easier for me because I'm not putting money on that game. You've got Iowa, 14-point favorites at home against Illinois. I think the Hawks cover. You just saw what happened this weekend when the Gophers came to Iowa City. Their perfect season, college football playoff hopes ruined. I think Iowa does the same thing to Illinois. If this game was in Champaign, we know how dangerous Lovey Smith is. I might say that Illinois gets within two scores. I wouldn't say they get the upset. But here I think Iowa does cover. 
Appalachian State back into the top 25 this week. They are 29-point favorites at home against Texas State. I think they cover. I take the over on this one, probably by five touchdowns. That's why I think App is going to win by this weekend. 35, that's where I'd set the line. Notre Dame, 21-point favorites at home against Boston College. Well, the Fighting Irish surprised me. It's a pleasant surprise by blowing out Navy this weekend, 52-20. to So I'm going to go with the overrun. I think the Irish cover, they win by three touchdowns, maybe more, against the Fighting Matt Ryans this weekend. I hope. I hope they keep it going. Georgia, 15-point favorites at home. They take on Texas A&M. This game being in Athens makes me want to say the dogs are going to cover. A&M has been super disappointing to me this year. I thought the Aggies, I thought the Longhorns would be among the most improved teams in college football this year. Neither has lived up to that hype. And I think Georgia is going to continue to try and make statements for the college football playoff. I think they will make one this weekend. Here's another tough one. Michigan Eight-point favorites on the road taking on Indiana. Indiana gave Michigan problems last year late in the season, and now they got to go on the road to Hoosierville and play them. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, all logic says Michigan should win this game by eight or more, probably more. They should cover. Yet it's on the road against a pesky Indiana team that's actually better than they were last year. I think I'll take the under. I don't think Indiana upsets, but I don't know that Michigan covers the eight-point spread here. You've got Navy, four-point favorites. They're at home. They take on SMU. SMU's actually ranked higher. Navy's going to fall out of the rankings this week, and the Mustangs are four-point dogs. I'm taking the upset. I'm taking the upset. SMU goes on the road. I think Navy's still reeling after getting punched in the mouth at Notre Dame this weekend, and I think SMU will pull the upset against the midshipmen couple more here. We've got LSU, 45-point favorites at home against Arkansas. I'm hammering the over on this one. The Tigers are going to cover. They've got an Arkansas squad that fired their head coach a couple of weeks ago. LSU right now is the best team in the country. It's arguably Ohio State, but there's an easy argument to be made for LSU. And Joe Burrow, is he now the front runner for Heisman, especially with Tua out? Is Joe Burrow the front runner? I think he might be. I'm hammering the over on this one. LSU covers, maybe some more. And finally, you've got Boise State, nine-point favorites on the road. They take on Utah State. I'm going with the over on this one. I think Boise is going to cover the nine-point spread and then go over. That is over-under as we play every Monday during the fall to end the workday. And end the show, with that, coming up on the 5 o'clock hour, we are out of time. Appreciate you listening as always. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. We're going to talk some more football. We're going to put a bow on this week in football and recap the Monday night game tonight in Mexico City. I can't wait for that one. I'm going to be joined by a special guest. A Northern Michigan wrestler has a shot at qualifying for the Olympics. He's going to join me tomorrow. Plus, I'll have Northern Michigan audio that of football, basketball, and hockey. Get caught up on all those teams during our hour tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Upper Michigan's Happy Hour on ESPN-UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.